Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, it's great to see everybody today. We had last Sunday, we had 1,000 views on our live stream uh, broadcast, so that's incredible. We want to welcome our uh, Facebook Live community. Let's give them a hand. Thank you for listening today. Uh, we're so grateful for our podcast listeners and our uh, regular listeners and a uh, thousand views. We had Kate, uh, Katie Kelly from Frederick, Maryland. Hello, Katie. Thank you for listening last week. And also Kathleen Dalton from Dalton, Pennsylvania. So thank you so much. People listening from all over our community and also around, around our region as well and even outside of our region. So, hey, we're in a study. We're looking at the book of Acts and we are looking at some strategic things in this incredible book. And we come to a great section of the book of Acts today, Acts chapter 17. And Acts chapter 17, verses 13 through 34, Paul goes to this incredible city, um, the city of Athens. And uh, how many here, anybody here ever been to Athens, Greece? Anybody been to Athens, Greece? Incredible city, one of my favorite cities in the world to go to. I've been to Athens twice and uh, love that city. And this is when Paul comes to that strategic city. And I want to read a little bit um, uh, from, from Acts chapter 17. And we have these uh, free Bibles that I'm reading from, the Holy Bible, larger print, New International Version. It's got a picture of uh, um, sailboats on the front, great font. And we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 13, 13 through 34 today. And it says this, when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there to agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The, man who escorted, the men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join them as soon as possible. While Paul was waste, waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is and what you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. And all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship and even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now what you worship is, is something unknown I'm going to promise to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it and the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. 
And he has, is, is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made the entire nation of men, and they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places they should live. God did this so that men who seek him, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man who he appointed. He has given proof of this by, to, to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear, about you, hear more about this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became fathers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Now, this is a really, um, really great story. It's a very unique story. Uh, one of the reasons it's unique, we have one of Paul's messages in uh, the book of Acts here, and we have several Paul's messages. In the book of Acts, you have Peter's messages, you have Paul's message. This is a unique message because in this message, Paul never quotes a scripture. He quotes two uh, secular poets in, the, in the, his sermon, but he doesn't quote a scripture at all, which is interesting because the reason that he doesn't quote any scripture is because he's speaking to a totally secular audience. People Before Paul's messages have primarily been in the synagogue where there are believers, Jewish people that believe in the one God, uh, Yahweh, and so they believe in the Hebrew Scriptures. So he many times would take the Hebrew Scriptures and he would preach messages for them, proving that the Hebrew Scriptures verify and present Jesus in the Old Testament. Here, Paul doesn't quote one Scripture. It's all about the creation, how God made the world, that the world is a great witness that there is a God and that God exists. So it's an interesting story, and we'll get to Paul's sermon in uh, a little bit after we uh, start the message a little bit here. So here's the deal. Paul had been, this is his second missionary journey. Uh, he's been in Philippi. He's been, uh, in, he's been in Berea. He's been in Thessalonica. And now he comes to Athens. He's got one more stop on this missionary journey. So the reason he ends up in Athens is because... The last city he was in, in Thessalonica, he got chased out of the city, had to leave in the middle of the night. Berea is the next city he goes to, and the people that didn't like him in Thessalonica follow him to Berea, and they cross a riot there, and he, and he leaves in the middle of the night uh, out of Berea. Uh, Berea is a wonderful place where he ministered, and people were very hungry for God there. So he leaves uh, Berea, then he goes, uh, then he ends up in, in Athens, and he's left there by himself. It's all by himself. Uh, he's escorted there. He's got like security guards. People are trying to kill Paul. So they take him to Athens and Timothy and Silas, his, his uh, uh, partners, have stayed in uh, Berea. And so Paul is by himself and he's been stoned. He's been whipped. He's been in jail. He's been preaching. He's been traveling. So he's all by himself in Athens. So, you know, if I was all by myself in Athens after all of that, you know what I would do? I would take some me time. How many like me time? 
a little bit of me time. You know, where everybody's gone, you're all by yourself. I'm the kind of guy, I love people. I love to hang out with people. I enjoy people. I love hanging out with people. I just have a good time. All these friends and all you guys, I just love my life. But every once in a while, I need a little me time. Uh, And sometimes we just need to be by ourselves. So I think that this is a great time for some me time for Paul. Just to hang out, just to, you know, go to some restaurants, check out some of the, you know, wine in Athens and just have a good time, you know. And um, every once in a while, you know, I just like get away, get some me time. You know, I'll go out in my driveway, got my basketball goal out there. I'll just shoot some hoops all by myself. Um, I sometimes like to go deer hunting and it's not so much about the deer. It's out there in the woods by myself, just out there, you know, uh, have my gun and I'm eating Tootsie Rolls. I mean, that's a great, great experience. So me time, that's what I think. This is what I would do. I heard about the mother. Who the, her, her husband said to her, hey, it's Mother's Day. And uh, how about if, you know, the husband said, how about if the kids and I take you out to dinner tonight? And the mom said, well, how about this? How about if you take the kids out to dinner and I stay here? <laughs> and I'm going to draw a bath and I'm going to just, you know, chill a little bit. I'm, I'm going to have two hours where I don't have to zip anybody's coat up and I don't have to get anybody to drink. So me time. I think that's what I would do, but Paul didn't. Paul saw the city full of idols, and he was burdened for the city. He was concerned for the city. He was upset about the city. What what Paul saw was a city full of emptiness and a city that was deceived and a city that was not fulfilling their God-created purpose. They were worshiping idols and Paul's heart was broken. Do you know that you see what you care about? You see what you care about. And Paul saw a city that needed God. You always see what you care about. You know, and so uh, whatever it is that you really care about, if you if you're a builder, a developer and you ride around our community, you see an empty field, you you see a place where there could be a new community, a new development, because that's what you care about. You see what you care about. You know, like if you watch your kids, how many had your kids, you played, your kids played basketball or soccer or baseball and, and, you know, your kids are playing Little League Baseball and you're there watching them. And there's nine kids on the field, but what are you doing? You're looking at one kid. You're looking at your kid in the center field. He's turned the wrong direction. He's looking at the cars go by. And of all the kids on the field, you see your kid because you see what you care about. Isn't that true? I remember when our boys were playing basketball. Uh, Tim was a pretty good basketball player for the little Christian school he went to. Uh, he uh, played center. And uh, those, you know, 10 kids would be on the basketball court. And the whole time, we're watching one kid. We're watching Tim. Because you see what you care about. And I remember, you know, there was a, a guy, his, uh, his son played on the team. In fact, his mom is here today. And uh, this dad, uh, he, he videotaped every game. And his video 
his video camera was always on Eric following his son. Because you see what you care about. For me, when I ride around our community, I see a building. And I always, you ask Karen, I say, boy, that would make a great church. That would make a great church. I ride through Bethany. I ride uh, down 26. I see buildings. Hey, that would be a great church. There's a building in Rehoboth right now. Our Rehoboth campus is growing and doing so well. There's a building that has a very successful recreational center in it. And I'm praying they're going to fail and go out of business because I want that building. (laughs) I'm just praying it will just fall to pieces. Because I care about reaching our community. I care about churches that churches like ours, not just in Gumbro, not just in Rehoboth, but all over our community. Churches that are filled with people that, that want to really know what the Bible says and want to worship the Lord and love the Lord because you see what you care about. And Paul saw a city full of idols. And it says his spirit was provoked within him. He was provoked. He was upset. The word there in the Greek means to be deeply disturbed and deeply concerned. He was upset. That's the other thing about you know what you care about by what upsets you. It wasn't too long ago that uh, I had some wonderful neighbors. I love my neighbors, all of my neighbors. I love all of them. I just love my neighbors and enjoy my neighbors. But one of the neighbors right next to me, they, they have a lot of parties, and I'm all about parties, you know, and they're having a good time. And I'm just like, hey, this is cool. You know, young people, we're, Karen and I are in there, you know, and you know, turning to bed at 830, and they're having a party. But anyhow, uh, it's just really great. We're, we love them. But they, they, uh, one time, they, I, I'm really f- fastidious about my lawn. You know, you know I, I love my lawn, my green grass in front of my lawn. You know, don't say I love grass. I love my lawn. <laughs> and, you know, it's biblical. I will, you know, the Lord will call us to lie down in green pastures. I love my lawn. And anyhow, the party was so big that they couldn't get out of the driveway. So they were pulling through my driveway and leaving these big ruts in my, my yard. And so, uh, so I went next door in the name of Jesus to share with them <laughs> that I wish you wouldn't do that. I, I, told, I said, I'm all about the party. I'm all about the party. You want to invite me? I'm coming to the party. But please, could they back out and not go? So would you... What you get upset about indicates what you care about. And some of you moms here today, what upsets you the most in life is when you're concerned about your kids and something is going on with them and they're not doing well and they're not heading in the right direction. And, and, and what, whatever you love, when it's threatened, it upsets you. I'll never forget when um, my son Joel was nine years old. Uh, in the spring, when he was nine years old, he went through something physically. We don't know what happened to him, but all of a sudden he had this severe, severe abdominal pain. And uh, he would, uh, bent, would be bent over and he was holding his, his stomach and moaning all the time. He would actually lay in, and sleep at night and he would, he would be moaning in his sleep. We took him to doctor after doctor after doctor. One of the theories was that he had virus in his lymph nodes. Uh, They did exploratory surgery on him. We went through a summer of absolute torment. And we actually wondered if we were going to lose him. He was there. He had big uh, 
circles under his eyes. He was just not doing well, and he wouldn't eat. And uh, he literally just was bent over moaning all the time. And what I remember, two things I remember about that summer, is I remember him laying in bed, sleeping, moaning, and Karen at the foot of his bed, sitting at the foot of his bed, crying out to God, praying for Joel to get better. And we went through the whole summer. He had exploratory surgery, as I mentioned. And then uh, we had a trip planned to Disney, and we asked Joel if you know, he wanted to go to Disney. But it was just terrible. He still wanted to go to Disney, so we took him to Disney. We pushed him around in a wheelchair at Disney World. And, uh, and it was just, that part was great because we got in front of the line and everything. That was, part was great. <laughs> but Karen was so upset about Joel because... You really, really get upset about what you care about. When what you care about is threatened, it upsets you. And incredible story. My dad started fasting for Joel and praying for him. And Karen was praying and I was praying. But my dad started really praying and fasting for my son Joel. And then sometime in October, we never knew what was wrong with him. The horrific treatments he went through, it just kind of disappeared and he got better. And, uh, but I remember... What I remember about that is I remember Karen sitting on the floor by his bed, and she would sit there, not for 20 minutes, not for an hour, but for hours, praying for him as he was sleeping. So Paul, when he looked at the city of Athens, he was upset because he cared about the city. He loved this city, and this city was full of idols, and this city was making idols. They were making idols uh, in, in their own image. And the city was filled with uh, all of these idols and it was just uh, horrific. Uh, you know, they were really, really not serving God, the God who created them. And Paul was deeply disturbed that they were so deceived. They were so deceived and he was praying for them because he said in his sermon, you are making idols in your own image, but yet God made you in his image. Do you know that you are made in God's image? And Paul said, you're making idols in your image, but the truth is, is that in his sermon, he said, God made you in his image, and you are the image bearers of God. And of all the inhabitants on this planet, human beings, you as a human being are a privileged person. You have been created in the image of God, and there is nobody more important on this planet than human beings. I love dogs, I love cats, I love animals, I love horses, but you are the crown of God's creation. You are made in his image. Can you say a big amen? I was pulling off a route one one day. Uh, I was in Rehoboth, I was pulling off route one onto King's Highway, and I pulled on the King's Highway, and there was a traffic jam. I had to put on the brakes there. And what it was, there was somebody that got out of their car on King's Highway as soon as you came off Route 1 to rescue a turtle that was crossing King's Highway. The first thing I thought is, they're not from here. So that's the first thing I thought. <laughs> the second thing I thought is, we got lots of those around here. No need to be upset. And I'm not for running over turtles. I, I mean, I love turtles, you know. But the irony of it was they were risking the lives of human beings to save a turtle. 
And turtles and you are not in the same category. Paul said in his message that you're made in the image of God. And he said to those Athenians, you're worshiping these idols that you make in your image, but yet you are made in the image of God and you are the crown of God's creation. God made you. God created you. And that's what his sermon says. His sermon in, in Acts chapter 17, he said you, that God made the world. Let me, uh, it says in verse 24, Then God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples built with hands. That's a great, great part in, in, in the message there. The God who made heaven and earth. Now here's something that you should know. The Greeks believed from Aristotle onward, the Greeks believed in the, that the universe was eternal. That the universe always was. They had no explanation for how it got here. They believed that the universe was eternal. That it just was. And ever since the Big Bang Theory came out, you know, here uh, in the Western world, 14 billion years ago, there was a beginning of the universe. And, and I subscribe that that's a real possibility because when we read Genesis chapter 1, the world is already here. There's already material here that God reorganizes that. And I think if God is an eternal God, we have about 6,000 years of history in the, in, the, in the Bible. I think God was probably active uh, earlier than 6,000 years ago. How many believe that? So I think he made everything and then Genesis 1, we see the rearrangement of all that. But he made everything. He made the world. There was a time when there was nothing and God created this planet and this universe that we live in. This is the God that Paul is preaching. God is preaching from nature. Nature is the greatest preacher of all. It says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are preaching that there is a God. Every time you see a beautiful sunset, it's a message. It's God's sermon that there is a God who made all this. And how many know that everything we see on this planet, we're going to be going to the beach pretty soon uh, after church on Sundays, I hope. We'll be going to the beach pretty soon. And we'll be looking at the ocean and we'll be looking at all the beauty of nature here on the eastern shore. And how many know that that didn't happen by accident? But Paul's message is that God made everything that was, that God is the creator of all things. Say that with me. God is the creator of everything. And nature itself, when you go to the Rocky Mountains, I went to the Rocky Mountains, Karen and I did a few years ago, never seen the Rockies before. You know, we, Sussex County, seeing a mountain's a big thing. You know, we've got Phillips Hill, but that's, you know, the Rocky Mountains, a whole different deal. And we saw the Rocky Mountains and we went up to Pikes Peak and looked out into those valleys and all that. And I'm telling you, I'm just, I just don't believe this stuff happened by accident. I just don't believe that. I believe that there is a God who made this world that we live in. And Paul said that God made the world. He made the world that you and I live in. And he has created everything. And he does not live in temples made by hand. He doesn't live in temples made by hand. Now, let's think about this part of the message. When Paul is preaching this message, this part of the message... God does not live in temples made by hand. He is preaching in the Areopagus, which is a little hill in front of the Acropolis. Now, 500 years before Paul got to Athens, there was a big temple built. And the temple housed a, uh, a goddess by the name of Athena. Athena was the daughter of Zeus. Athena was born out of the forehead of Zeus. Speaking of rationality, 
And so there's a temple. And if you've been to Athens, Karen and I stayed in the Acropolis Motel, looked out our window, and we could see the Acropolis, and we could see the Parthenon on top of the, uh, the Acropolis. And if you've been to Athens, what you cannot get over is how big it is. That temple is used. Here's a picture of the Parthenon. And you see the people down here? That's the policeman right there. This thing is huge. And inside of it was a big statue of the goddess Athena. And Athens is named after Athena. Athens, Athena. But what's significant is Paul is preaching just feet away from that. And this is the backdrop. And he's preaching, God made everything. And the God that Paul is preaching does not live in temples made by hands. Percoles made this 500 years before that. And what a powerful statement. He said, you know, that's a big temple. You'd think that would contain any God. What is the, what is the, what is the temple that God lives in? What is the temple that God lives in that we worship? Well, there's this guy named John Walton. He said that, that when God created the world, it says, you know, on the first day was evening and morning, first day, second day, evening, morning. When it gets to the seventh day, he doesn't say, on the seventh day it was evening, morning. The seventh day, there's no evening. It's no closing of the seventh day. And it's an ongoing, uh, it's an ongoing period where God, when a temple was made on the last day of the temple that was made, God would move into his temple and inhabit the temple. And so when God got done creating the universe, he moved into his temple, and the universe is his temple. The universe is his temple. And here's what we know. Scientists, they don't even know how big the universe is. All they know is it's getting bigger. And the God that you and I serve is so big, there's a temple that's continued to expand because it can't contain him. And God is bigger Then Athena's temple, God is a God who has made everything and he's made us in his own image. And he is a God that's greater than any God that the Greeks could imagine. Say that with me. Say this with me. God is bigger than we can imagine. That's what he was preaching. And then he said, then he said, he said, God made us so that we may reach out and seek for him we may reach out and seek for him and the athenians they're worshiping all these gods and it's not working you know there's a decline we know that athens is in decline at this time when paul's there the population is going down people are getting disillusioned with the idols and paul goes and he preaches and you said you've got an altar to the unknown god and he's speaking about you know the god that they don't know and he's speaking to the lord and he says that the lord made us so that we may seek for him and find him So each of us has been created by God with a divine hunger for the Lord. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, God has set eternity in men's hearts. And these empty Athenians, Paul's preaching to, and he said, God made you so that you would seek him and that you would know him. So yesterday I was, you know, I checked Facebook and I just happened to check what was going on. I got a message in Messenger. It's from a guy, it was from a guy that I'd never corresponded with, a guy that I went to high school with, a guy named Charles. 
So he said, call, some, call me as soon as possible. Then he sent another note, text, call me as soon as possible. So I got done my work. I had to go to Lowe's to do some things. And so I called him when I got to Lowe's. I'm sitting in the Lowe's parking lot. And here's this guy named Charles. He said, you and I graduated from high school together. And I didn't really know him. And he said, I was a salutorian, a salutorian for our high school class. I was number two in the class. Barbara Gandex was number one. I was number two. And then I knew why I didn't know him. We were in opposite ends of the class. So... Uh, <laughs> And he said, you have some time. He said, I've been watching your two-minute videos. And, and he said, I, I, wanted, I would just like to ask you some questions. So I talked to this high school buddy. And we started talking. I didn't really know him in high school, but he was a really smart guy. And he said, when I grew up, he said, I grew up, my mom told me, she said, you're not going to get ahead in life by going to Sunday school. And you're not going to get ahead by praying in life. You're going to get ahead by getting good grades. And he said, I got good grades. You know, I was very, very smart. I was going to go to medical school. There was some problems with my dad. He didn't pay for it. And, uh, and he said, I've had some problems in my life. I just had a relationship that went south. And he said, I, I, I'm just, I don't know what to do. And he said, he said, I want to ask you about the Mormons. He said, these Mormons have been really coming, coming to visit me, and these Mormons have been really nice to me. I want to know your opinion about the Mormons. So I said, Charles, I said, listen, you know, the Mormons are wonderful people. I said, they've got uh, great values and, uh, you know, wholesome family values and all that. And I said, you know, their, their, their history is a part of Americana. I mean, them traveling across the Midwest and all that. I said, they're... They're really wonderful people. And he said, they've been really nice to me. And he, I, he said, well, what do you think of them? I said, well, they're, you know, very wholesome people and all that. I said, but there is a problem. I said, they've demoted Jesus to angel status. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, they see Jesus as an angel, not as the son of God. I said, evangelical Christians and people that believe the New Testament, believe the Bible. Jesus is the son of God. He was before all things. And everything hinges on our belief of Jesus. He said, yeah, well, that's, that's not good. I wouldn't want Jesus to be an angel, he said. You know, I, I think I need something bigger than that. So he talked to me about his, you know, his emptiness. And he said, I, I got good grades. And he said, but I was empty. And I've, I've been successful. I uh, ended up being a CPA. And he said, I've, I've been, done everything right. And he said, I'm just, I'm just, something's missing in my life. And he asked me about churches. I said, well, look for a church. He lives in Gatesburg, Maryland. I said, look for a church that has community in the name. And I said, that's a good sign. Sometimes it's a Bible teaching church and all that. And so talked to him about that. And then he said, well, you pray with me. So I prayed with him and I'm praying for him and I could, the Holy Spirit's moving. I'm sitting in my pickup truck and I'm praying for him and I'm praying and he, and I got done praying. He said, you know, he said, that, that just really touched me. That's really touched me. And then I thought to myself, what am I doing? This guy's asking about church. He's ready to find Jesus right now. I said, Charles, would you like to find Jesus right now? Would you like to become a Christian right now and ask Jesus in your heart? He just took off praying, inviting Jesus into his heart on the phone. And he got a little tangled up in the middle of the prayer, so I helped him finish it out. And he received Jesus right there on the phone. And uh, we're going to... We're going to be helping him. I'm going to help him. I was on, actually on the website this morning, Gatesburg, looking for churches for him. And you know what he said? He said, something's missing. 
something's missing in my life. He's a real, real smart guy. But your brain and your intelligence and your IQ and my IQ is not enough to fulfill the depths of the emptiness in our heart. We have a God-sized hole in our heart that only God can fill. And when Paul was preaching in Athens, he said God made us that we would seek for him and know him. And then he, Paul finishes his message by talking about the judgment. The judgment of God, there's coming a day. And the reason that's interesting when he said there's coming a day of, of judgment... Uh, the reason that's interesting is because he's talking. We know that, uh, look, look what it says in uh, verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such, such ignorance, but now he commands, commands all people everywhere to repent. Verse 31, listen, look what it says. Verse 31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Hey, Listen. I know it's 2019, but let me tell you something. We're all headed through the page of the history toward a moment when every human being will stand before the God of creation and we must give account. That's a constant theme in the New Testament. And those that know Jesus that have been clothed in the righteousness of the Lord will stand in the righteousness of the Lord. And the Bible says in, in Revelation chapter 20 that the books were opened, the dead small and great, rich and poor, whatever economical class you're in, whatever educational class you're in, every human being will stand before the Lord and give an account. And so Paul in his message says we're all headed toward a moment when we will stand before the God who made us. Say this with me. There is an appointed day of accountability. So the reason this is interesting is because we know in the text that Paul's talking to uh, several groups of people. He's talking to the Epicureans. Everybody say Epicureans uh, and the Stoics. The Epicureans believe this. The Epicureans believe that pleasure was the greatest pursuit in life and not to worry about God judging because the any of the gods of, of Greece, the Epicureans believe the gods were pro, totally preoccupied and they weren't tuned into your life at all. So you shouldn't walk around fearing any god because there's nothing to worry about. And Epicurus, who lived uh, 340 B.C. to 270 B.C., Epicurus uh, taught that one of, the, one of the things that robs us of pleasure in life is fear of death. And Epicurus said we shouldn't fear death because we become non-existent at the moment of death. So why would you worry about somewhere you're not going to be? When you die, you're not going to be there because you're not going to exist anymore. This is who he's talking to. And Paul preaches and teaches that there is a day of accountability where the dead will stand before the Lord. So, you know, I'm not... I'm not uh, perplexed about that as a follower of Jesus because I know, I don't know about you, but I know I've, I've like, since I've become a Christian, I haven't always lived perfectly and I've made some mistakes and gotten mad and all that. And if, if I'm in the right crowd, if you've had that too, would you just kind of say, yeah, that's me too. But when I stand before Jesus, I'm standing in the righteousness of the Lord. Jesus has paid for my sin. My sons were uh, hanging out together a couple months ago and uh, they were at my son Tim's house over, he lives in the sanctuary over on Route 1 in Bethany, and uh, they were all there, and the kids were there, and the wives were there, they're all hanging out, 
and they were hanging out at Tim's house, and they wanted to go check the waves. My sons are surfers, so they all piled in Tim's little Ford car. They get in the car, and they come out to the end of the sanctuary, and, and you have to go right to go all the way down there and turn around to get back to, if you want to go to the north side or, or south side by the bridge there to the beach. But there's a little, there's a little uh, crossover just about, about you know, 30 feet down the road. You have to go the, the wrong direction for a little ways on Route 1. So they come to the end. And well, my son, Tim, who is the risk taker? Tim said, not to worry. I'm going to go this way because I do it all the time and I've never been caught. How many know what's happening now? What's going to come now? So he turns down the route, wrong way to go down Route 1, just a few feet. And as soon as he turns down there, a cop puts the lights on, pulls him over. And the cop said, I guess you know why I pulled you over. You're going the wrong way on Route 1. And Joel's sitting in the back. He's freaking out. Joel's the, the rule keeper in our family. Tim doesn't know there is rules, you know, so he does whatever. Joel said, he's sitting in the back, he said, Joel said, Dad, I've been stopped twice in 20 years and I got a ticket both times. Tim is so likable. Talked to the cop a little bit and the cop said, hey, listen, don't do it again. You're free. (laughs) Joel's thinking, you know, really, Tim should go to jail. This is really bad. (laughs) Cop let him off. What's the point of that story? The point of that story is God is not like that cop. God is not like that cop. Because when we have sinned in the face of a holy God, God does not let us off the hook. Because He's holy. He's righteous. He's pure. He's just. God does not let us off the hook. We're on the hook. And how is that problem solved? That problem solved by God sending his son who paid our fine, our debt for us so we can go free. I said to Charles on the phone, Charles, you can never be good enough. You can never try hard enough. You have to put your faith And the one who came to die in your place to pay your debt. And the reason we know that his his paying your debt is authentic is because he was raised from the dead. And that is the key to salvation. And Paul preached that message. And this morning, I want to, as I close in prayer with you this morning, I want you that know Christ, uh, you know you've been made in his image. You know he has a plan for your life. I want you to just raise your hands right now and thank him that he's called you, he's redeemed you, that you're not a turtle, you're not a, you're not a dog, you're not a cat, you're not, you're not a deer. You're, a, you're, you're, you're an image bearer of the God of the universe. You're an image bearer of the God of the universe. You're unique. There's nobody else like you. If you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith in Jesus. It's not about leaving here. I'm going to try to be a better person. It's about beginning right now to say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. Judgment's coming, but you've already taken my judgment on the cross. And so I can stand before Jesus, before the judgment in full confidence. If you're putting your faith completely in Jesus, just lift your hand now and raise your hand before the Lord. And let's pray this out loud together. If you're receiving Christ for the first time, you just pray this right now with all the other people. Just pray this out loud and say, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much 
that you love me and you call me by your name. I have sinned and fallen short in so many ways of your glory. I realize that you have come to take my judgment. And so I put my faith in you. I believe that you're the Son of God. Come into my heart and be Lord of my life and let me live the great adventure of following you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, before you leave today, you need to go to the information center and say, I want to be baptized next Sunday. I want to, I want to be baptized. I want to celebrate. I want to come public with my faith. It'll help solidify your faith in Jesus. Now, as you lift your hands, let me pray a blessing over you as we begin a new week. Lord, as we go into a new week, we thank you we go into a week with your blessing on us. We thank you that your love and your grace is with us. And so we step forth into this new week, blessed by you, uh, called by you. We are sons and daughters of the living God. So we go forth in this week and we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.